0: We're here today to discuss the differences and the similarities between the GP profession in the Netherlands and in the UK. In many ways both professions are quite similar. Salaries and working hours are roughly the same. The pressures on GPs seem to be at a similar level. Consulting consulting times are 10 minutes per patient and yet There are very clear differences in that the Netherlands has no trouble recruiting GPs and the UK struggles. So we have invited Roger Damoiseau, Professor of General Practice at Utrecht University and the BMJ's columnist, Glasgow GP Margaret McCartney, to try to explore why the profession is so much more popular in the Netherlands than in the UK. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Sophie. So perhaps Roger, perhaps you could start by telling us what you think makes the profession so popular. In,
1: in the Netherlands, the, the general practitioners have a very strong position in in healthcare. They have um, two different parties in in the organisation, and one is a scientific organisation. That's the Dutch College of General Practitioners, and they are making our own guidelines. In UK, you have the nice guidelines, and they're for all professionals the same we have our own domain and we have our own guidelines so it's easier for us to to stick to the guidelines as general practice should do and the other thing is that we have another party and it's kind of union in the netherlands and that's also and uh... most of the gps are a member of that union and they take care for the salaries that uh... the negotiations with the minister and all that kind of things and also how we organize general practice so it, it's a very strong group of professionals and we were respected also by specialists because they know what we are doing according to our guidelines.
0: Margaret, what would you say explains why, we're, why the profession in the UK is so much less popular?
2: is a really big question and I suppose I must preface it by saying I'm not going to be evidence based here these are my opinions and the opinions I think that I just come across when I talk to GPs I think one of the really big frustrations that I'm certainly I experience and many of my colleagues experience is that we're trying to do a good job and feeling that we're not really getting to do a good job and the reasons for that I think are are very varied and and multiple Um, some are to do with the contract we work under the quality and outcomes framework which essentially reduces the GP consultation. That thing we've spent years learning about, how to do it well, how to listen to the unsaid things in the consultation, have sometime, somehow managed to be reduced into this t- ticking of boxes and all that we have to show for it is whether or not we ask someone if they want to stop smoking. So I think there's this real frustration that we're not doing what it is that we train to do as general practitioners. We're not really um, available for the nuances before. And of course I'm sure that much the same is in the Netherlands that we're dealing with and a population who are um, accumulating more and more diagnoses and diseases as time goes on and, and, and we're yet we're not very well equipped to deal with multiple medity. We've had huge cuts in social care in the UK which means that many of our patients who are the most vulnerable in our society are not really getting the social care they need and that in turn has an impact on healthcare care services that are in, increasingly required and I think means it's very hard because what we're trying to do is really treat social inequalities often with medicine, the only tool we often have to offer.
0: Roger, do you feel that those, that, those particular problems are very different the
1: no I don't think they're really different I think we have the same problems that that, that uh, social welfare is, is really uh, at, um, at, at danger also in the Netherlands I mean they also f- a big cut in the cost of uh, the spending for that uh, kind of people but on the other hand what we're talking about transparency and, and, and quality indicators I think there we we're not that far as you have gone I mean at a certain moment we also had to fill in all those uh, boxes just to that we had all the qualities uh, which are not really um, profitable for the patients but I mean it's just for the system and this year it was quite nice that the the GPs that just from bottom up came up against that and they said we have to stop that so we are again negotiating with um, the healthcare insurances that we can do that less and that we can have time just to spend listening to the patient just what you mentioned I think in that way we want the same we want to listen to the patients to the story and help them how to get on with their health and i think we should not be we kept up with ticks in the boxes and and i think we, m- we just stopped in time uh, also because it's frustrating if you only have to put in all those boxes and uh, that's not helping the patient i mean that that's the point you're a doctor helping uh, so that i think it's it's quite the same but we not we didn't go that far
2: and it sounds as though you had a grassroots swelling up of gps saying we don't think this is the way that medicine should go
1: yeah, and, and, and in, in a way it's, it's, it was really surprising because there was already a long time, I was just telling about the union we have, and, and they were already n- debating with the minister that we should go down on that um, indicators, uh, on, on the number of indicators, but they were not strong enough because there was also money. And the minister said if you put up more indicators you get more money, and that's I think something we have to be careful. Money is not the only way we should, should be the driver of our healthcare. And then from bottom up, people said, we have to stop it. Otherwise, we can't do a nice job anymore. And I think it it, it was just in time, just to uh, not to get in the same... Uh, how do you call it? Trap, as, as I think you're in, in UK did. Yeah.
2: So how does it work then? How are you paid in, in the Netherlands as GPS? Do you have any kind of submissions to have to make to insurance companies? Because uh, I understand it's mainly insurance driven.
1: No, it, it's it's quite uh, the, the 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 biggest part of the the income. I think about sixty percent you get just from being someone on your list. And then you have another 30% from your consultations, and, and your visits, and, and all kinds, of what you're doing, and surgery, what you're doing. And 10% you can have for innovations of, um, of healthcare. If you have a new program you make with your, with several practices, you can have extra money for that. So of course, especially on the um, on the part of the innovations, you have to show that, that you have the quality, what you say you're going to de- uh, to deliver. But for the other things, you have to take care for the patients, and, and that's, that's enough. Of course, they look how many patients you refer. If, if you're really an and they come to you and say, what's wrong with your practice? But it's not very strict on every that, that you have to be careful what, what's the glucose of your diabetes patients, of the hypertension, how, how high the tension is. That's not the way we are paid. It's just because the patient's on your list. And of course, you want good to deliver good care, but it's not on, on numbers
2: because in the UK we have a, a very much a numbers-based system and if someone doesn't reach a target we have to exclude them um, or justify why that target hasn't been met. There, there isn't really even a way to explain to the contract that you've decided that the guidance doesn't apply here or you've decided with the patient that they don't want to achieve that particular target for all kinds of reasons.
1: In fact, we, we, we were going the same way. I, I mean, the, the the healthcare insurances wanted to have us doing that as well. And there are some of those targets. I mean, for example, you have the, the generic medicine, hey, of the, the, the cheaper medicine. If, if you have too less of it and too much um, the expensive medicine in your prescriptions, you also get, a, how do you say it, a, a penalty. But on the other hand, I think That is something you have to deal with, but it's not on the whole way. I mean, uh, we don't, if you have the outliers for uh, diabetes or so, you have to keep them in the practice because that's normal. You can't get them all in the strict.
2: Yeah. Uh, I suppose, though, with generic prescri- prescribing uh, in terms of the NHS, I think most GPs would consider that's a pretty good thing to yeah, do and would yeah. be kind of going going along with that. I, I don't think there would be much opposition to that. I think it's more in terms of the actual clinical decision-making targets. They tend to be the ones that cause much more <laughs> um, yeah. distress and stress amongst practitioners. Uh, and,
1: and the point is, and that's what we we, we also saw in an the I mean, if you have t- um, nowadays with diabetes, it's not always the best to have the lowest glucose. I mean, and that's also changing, also with uh, the tension. A hypertension patient, you should not always get them lowest as low, because sometimes it's even worse for the patient. So I think we should really consi- reconsider all those quality indicators, and, and if you only have a practice of 2,000 people, you can't have them all in a certain line. If you're in a deprived, uh, deprived area, it, it's very difficult to get your diabetes as good as if you're in a, an uptown where everyone is taking his, uh, his medicine properly, doing his uh, exercises and everything. So I think that's different.
0: Do you think that somehow it's easier for the GPs in the Netherlands to have rejected something that was being imposed upon them by the insurance companies, where f- in the UK it's harder for the GPs to stand up to the government?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's easier because the, the, the insurance companies, they're also not the government. I mean, they're also private practice. So there, is, there are several in the Netherlands. So there's not only one, there are five or six big insurance companies. So there is a, a certain room. To negotiate about things and so we say we don't do it and sometimes we even go but I I just thought the Union goes back to the Minister and says we don't want to do it like this and otherwise we're not going to work the other things we planned together so I think it's easier for us to to stand up against uh, the the rules of of government and insurance companies because they are not uh, they also not the only player in, in the whole scheme I think you only have the NHS and the government.
2: Yeah, It sounds as though the ministers in the Netherlands were very supportive of GPs, not wanting to move to a more tech box um, contract.
1: It, it, it's a different. Of course, they also want to had reduce the, the cost of medicine, and they also want to have uh, high-quality uh, primary health care. But they know also if they just get too far, then they lose the general practice and primary health care, and it will be very difficult. So they're not that... That's strict in the Netherlands, I think. It's it's easier. And the the, the, the um, at the moment the, of the Ministry of Health is, is really in favor of general practice because she knows that we, we have a lot to gain also from hospital care if we take it back to primary care. But then she has to please us in a certain way, otherwise we say we we don't have <laughs>
2: <laughs> So would you say that general practitioners in the Netherlands have a fairly good relationship with your Ministry of Health?
1: Yes. I think at the moment it, it's all right. And that's mostly due to that we have our own guidelines, so the minister knows what we are working for. And and the other hand is the, is the union. It's a very strong union because all GPs are members of that union, so of, of almost 90%. Almost so that makes it very strong if we want to negotiate with the minister.
2: Here in the UK, we have a very different, I think, relationship with the Department of Health and really being kind of fractured, I think, recently with the dispute with junior doctors. Um, of course, many of whom we were hoping were going to be GPs and, and many of whom are now leaving the country. Um, yeah. Many of them have said that they're going off to um, the Antipodes as, as soon as they possibly can. I, is that a similar feature in the Netherlands?
1: No, I, in fact, we still have... Uh too many people want to become a GP. We, we still have to uh, to select properly and uh, for the GP training. I mean, we have about 750 places each year for GP training, and it's uh, about 1, 1,200 applicants every year. So it's still a lot of people
0: who want to be a GP. The problems with GP recruitment here date back a lot further than the current issues over...
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for, for, you know, at least five, ten years, I think there have been major problems with recruitment, I think, increasing in many areas as well,
0: Mm -hmm. places really unable to fill their their training schemes. Why do you think, Margaret, that the GPs in the UK haven't been able to uh, be as powerful in the negotiations as they seem to be in... in (laughs) In the Netherlands. God, that's that's a really
2: that's a really big question, and I think there's there's lots of reasons for that. I think from from my point of view, I think a lot of GP energy has been expended doing the wrong sort of stuff for for too long. So we've been um, previous to um, the, kind of the current health secretary. Before that, there was this big setup for commissioning um, under the just at the end of the Labour government, the the coalition government, where GPs got involved in commissioning hospital services. So GPs in England had this very different role of actually going out and deciding what services they wanted for their patients and then basically buying it in. And I think that was a big change in how GPs worked and I think that changed, from my point of view, that changed I was speaking to a historian the other day who defined doctors joining as general practitioners in the 1960s as either missionaries, socialists or businessmen. And to me what happened Happened was there was a lot of people who were interested in the business aspects and um, who were kind of going into the, the new era of commissioning, getting very involved in that um, with a wide range of motivations, some missionaries, some socialists, some businessmen probably in there. And, and I think that was a big diversion from the actual face-to-face care that is the essence i think of being a general practitioner and i suspect that what happened was as we found out the commissioning was much harder much more difficult um, didn't work out in a lot of places very well caused a lot of stresses took doctors away from their patients to do commissioning work i think that has changed i think a lot of doctors perception of what it is that gps do or don't do So I think that has been a big factor. And to me, another really big factor um, has been how the media portrays GPs. I think that a lot of doctors coming through will have a look at what people think about um, general practitioners and won't like what they hear. Um, There are some universities that are very popular um, breeding grounds for general practitioners. And then there are other universities that hardly seem to produce any GPs. Now some senior doctors think that's because um, health professionals speak down about GPs sometimes. Um, certainly I didn't experience that as a junior doctor or a GP trainee but a lot of people do, do report that so that may be a factor. But for me the bigger factor I think is just um, what general practice is portrayed in the media as um, as opposed to how patients and other doctors um, describe what general practice is like and if you've never experienced GP if you've got very few weeks in it as a student or as a as a junior doctor none at all, you're not really going to have a very formative opinion or, or experience mm. of what general practice actually is whereas if you have heard good things about it and if you've seen it well um, that, that seen it working well then I, I think you probably are going to have a more positive um, experience and, and depiction of it. So you think
0: that the media coverage which tends to be critical um, is a big explanation for why people choose not to go into that have, go down that uh, route.
2: I have no proof right.
0: <laughs> I have no proof but
2: I, I, speaking to people um, is a big concern and speaking to medical students I often say to them you know come into general practice it's such a great job it's really good fun you know it, it's great working here uh, and I'm always um, greeted with a kind of um, astonishment stroke incredulity you know um, how can this be so we've heard so many different things about it but and you, men- you really get to hear about the joy.
1: Mm. But, but you also were mentioning that at some universities the, the GPRs are not Mm, um, yeah, they're, they're not seen in in the yeah. curriculum. Is it true?
2: So I- in some um, medical schools, they've made really big efforts to try mm. and give students a much bigger experience of general practice. And even in some postgraduate um, training, some junior doctors spend part of their time in general practice. And the idea behind that was to try and give y- young doctors and, and students a, a really mm. good idea about what else could happen. But what's, I think, quite interesting is that some medical schools produce many, many more general practitioners than and
1: others. And there is no um, uh, academic lobby of, of, of general practitioners to, to get that more prominent in in uh, well, um.
2: there is actually <laughs> funny you should mention that There, there are, there's, a, there's a lot so um, in particular and I, and I should declare an interest because I'm in the Council of the Royal College of GPs but I had nothing to do with this there is a um, campaign going on why be a GP where people are depicting lots of um, lots of lots of the good stuff about general practice that perhaps you wouldn't get to hear about and there's doctors talking about the careers um, online trying to say to students look this is a really great career perhaps um, consider it there's been really um, terrible publicity I think, and um, one, um, one governmental department in England decided to publicise how great a GP was by saying that you could sign a form to allow um, patients to take part in charity parachute jumps. Now, not only is this a complete waste of GP time, there's good evidence that actually we um, more money is lost through treating the injuries um, incurred by parachute jumps for charity <laughs> in the NHS than is actually raised for it. So, there's good reasons for GPs not to be involved. And it was really interesting that the only good thing about general practice that the government came up with their first line of attack was um, that that, um, we should get more GPs to sign parachute charity jump forms. So (laughs) so I think there there are issues in how our job is is portrayed and I think to a certain extent perhaps we are our own worst enemy to a certain extent. We British people, I think in general, are quite modest. People don't tend to go around sort of saying, "I've saved a life today," (laughs) you know. You know, I have done I've done great things with my prescribing, and of course, a lot of general practice is is very subtle. You know, we don't go around making great proclamations about how fantastic we are of what we're doing. Whereas it's perhaps more glamorous and more obvious when something um,
0: life changing happens in other parts of the health service.
1: It's still amazing.
0: Roger, now in the Netherlands. I mean, there is definitely in the UK. Um, uh, GPs are not seen as being. It, it's not a glamorous choice. It's not maybe a choice that gives people a sense that they'll be go- able to go far in that in that profession. In the sense that they might, if they went into a different line of work as a consultant in some other area, is that. There's a sort of snobbery, I think that's a little no, bit what, what Margaret's been saying that comes through from the media message as yeah. well, that GPs are pushed down. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that so different in the Netherlands, do you think?
1: I don't know whether it's really different because also in the Netherlands, I mean, if you, especially the, 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 the male students, they also all want to be a surgeon, uh, most of them, and they start a medical training. But still we have a, a certain number of, of students in the whole country and and there are limited numbers who can go for specialization. so then you have uh, general practice and then you have uh, social um uh, doctors for in insurance companies and that kind of things, and those are on the general practitioner in the middle. so most of the people know that not not all the the medical students can become a specialist, so one way or right, there is still enough for us to get them in the GP training. I don't know how it is arranged in the UK. Can everyone who wants to go for specialization can go for it?
2: No. No, I mean, I think it would depend how many people wanted to, but certainly there's a huge imbalance. And I think there have been many more people applying for specialist posts than there were posts available of of late. But I mean, so you
1: also have a number of students. Where are they all leaving then?
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of them are leaving altogether. So some of them are just stopping and um, doing medicine. They're going off to do something else. Some mm-hmm. of them, are, I think, a large chunk are going off to Australia. Some may come back. Some may not come back. Um, and other people seem to be taking time out, doing other things. Um, so I... Th- I think there's a story yet to unfold and I think the current crisis and junior doctors and the way that the contract has stalled I think is creating so much uncertainty for many doctors that I think sadly some of them are bailing out and getting on with a different career now okay. which is just awful. Mm-hmm.
0: Margaret, do you think there's a sense is that when students are making those choices that the bottom line is also that being a GP is really hard work in a sense that somehow more so than a specialist's
2: yeah, and I have to say I feel quite guilty about this because for a long time I've been writing stroke moaning about um, how hard things are um, in a way of trying to draw attention to I think the fact that general practice can't sort out social inequalities, we need political, fair political solutions for a lot of stuff. Um, wait, wait 10 minutes per, per patient to try and deal with three different problems half well is almost impossible. Um, and in some ways my motivation was to try and make this better so that it's a a more sustainable job, but also a more satisfying, better job for patients so that patients are getting good value. And I do worry that um, my moaning um, and not highlighting all the really fantastic things about general practice, because there are very, very, many of them, has been a factor, um, you know, a a microcosm and a microcosm of of putting people off.
1: In the Netherlands also, a lot of female students choose for general practice because they can more easily form it in part-time. I mean, uh, most of the GPs in the Netherlands are part-time GPs and especially the women, they, they prefer that because also they, they want to have a family and the combination is easy to do. How is that in the UK then?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely, and I think um, general practitioners um, are now in the majority female um, yeah. and in the majority part-time, which is great. Yeah. But there are loads of men who work part-time in general practice as well because they yeah, do commissioning, yeah. they do teaching, they do lecturing, they, do, they work for um, their local primary care trust or whatever. So I think it's a popular part-time job for everyone now but a lot of people think that it's now become more popularly part-time because it makes it more sustainable because working um, 11 sessions or 10 sessions a week as a general practitioner is just exhausting exactly, and, uh, yeah. so I think in some ways it's about sustainability.
1: Yeah I think that w- what we also have to think ourselves whether it's good to be a full-time general practitioner I mean I don't think you can give the, the quality of care to all your patients the whole week long so you have to do some other things as well. Or it's a family or some teaching or, or something else. That's true. But I think that's also important that we also show that to the students that that it's not just only running through the um, yeah. the patients.
2: Part of me though does worry that that's been a. Uh a factor in a perceived decline in the status, in quotes, of general practice, and that it's full of part time women, you know, <laughs> who've got baby sick on their shoulders the rest of the time. And I, and I think, um, while I think it is a fantastically part time job, mm-hmm. it's just as important, if not more important, than many other jobs in the NHS. So I think it's trying to find a balance between not being immodest about um, the importance of the job, but at the same time, um, being very welcoming. And I think um, there's lots of people who have found a home, including me in general practice, who did lots of other jobs, couldn't quite find find out where I fitted in and then realized actually general practice has got the room to make the job really what you want it to do. Um, You know, the the patients are at the heart and at the core of it, but then there's so many other things you can bring into the job with you. Yeah.
1: And also what you you get from the patients, the the gratitude that uh, if you do a job for for many years, they're really... They they, they they like you very much, much more than they do like the specialist. Yeah. I think that's also very rewarding, the, the GP job that's yeah. in, in the Netherlands.
2: But what about continuity of care, is that threatened in the Netherlands? Because one of the big issues that the government has had in the UK is about extending opening hours. So we already open um, every morning very early, um, evening consultations as well. Some surgeries do, some don't. Saturday mornings, some do, some don't. And while it sounds really good, a lot of people think that the GP butter is just being spread more thinly and that it will destroy. Con- continuity.
1: And especially the continuity in person is, is mm. very important. I think that's the most important thing in general practice because that's the only thing really which reduces hospital admissions eh? if you're in, in, in person are the continuity. So we are in the Netherlands are very reluctant with extending the opening hours. We, we want to keep it up to from eight till five, six o'clock. But we're all responsible for the night care. I mean then uh, at terms we go to a a bigger place where we we do the night care. All the doctors who are in day care also have the night shifts.
0: It seems that roughly at the moment Dutch GPs and UK GPs earn a similar salary. Um, How does that compare to the other uh, specialist salaries in the Netherlands?
1: In the Netherlands, I think uh, GPs are um, earning less than, um, than, than specialists who are working for their own practice. I mean, you have uh, specialists uh, working for a salary, and most of them work in, in university hospitals. But the ones who are working in the, the private hospitals, not really the, the, in the other hospitals in the Netherlands, the specialists, they earn quite a lot more than, than GPs. Quite Although a lot? It's about 100,000 euros a year extra.
0: And yet, GP, your Dutch GPs are still very happy to settle for less.
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the, the money the GPs have is also still more than enough. Because uh, I think we should not discuss it. We, we, we had a, a certain discussion in the Netherlands. We should not earn more than the Prime Minister earned that time. And that I think the GPs are around that salary. So, I think the specialists should go down a bit if we want to have the fairness, but i sh- I don't think we should really state on the money. You should also have your pleasure in your work. I mean, the money is not the only thing, and what we see in in the specialist money I- is getting back because also most of the specialists now are uh have to um they earn the money only from the hospital they are changing in in the salaries it it there's a change so I think within a few years most of the specialists are going to be just on a salary base. So then the, the, the salaries will be less right. than what it is now. But I don't think the GPs ever complained about the difference in the salary.
0: And Margaret, do you think salary is a key factor?
2: I think there's been instability in salaries, so I think there was a general acceptance before the kind of new contract of '94 um, that salaries for GPs were too low, or compared with sort of other um, medical specialities, and so the intention was to give a raise. But I think people, the government didn't realise just how much of a raise that was going to be, and I think it has been declining since then. And to a certain extent, I think that gives a bit of instability, you know, because you don't quite know what's going to happen next. And from my point of view, at least, I would much rather just know how much money I had, and, and that was it rather than you know worrying that it was going up and down all the time, which I think is part of the problem with the contract. People feel obliged to get involved in stuff in the contract that they would rather just miss out just because um, you've got other staff to pay. You know, So we're responsible mm-hmm. for paying our nurses, for our for our secretaries, um, for our clerical staff who we couldn't run the practice without. So I think it does create a bit of unease, uh, as it were, with that. And certainly I think GPs have always been known not to earn as much as a consultant would who was doing lots of private practice. You know what I think but lots of consultants in the UK don't do private practice, so th- I think that's not the, the only distinguishing feature.
0: There's very much a sense in the UK that the things, are going, things are getting harder for GPs in, in a lot of ways. I don't know if you've, the GPs in the Netherlands feel that things are more stable, and they don't have a sense of just heading towards some kind of abyss, which tends to be the, the atmosphere here.
1: Yeah, I think what we also feel in the Netherlands is that, that we more and more have to organize things which we are not trained for. I mean, uh practices are getting bigger, more nurses are getting involved and and more people are running around. So we have to organize it and that I think we should stop. We should become a doctor again and should take care that other people do the organization. That maybe there is that we have to earn a bit less. Yeah, because the people who organize do the administration have to be paid as well, but I think that the pleasure of, of working is, is much much bigger because we want to treat patients. We don't want to do it at finance. It's it's nice to have a good income, but it's not the only thing. And that's also what I say to my trainees. I mean, pr- pr- try to be a doctor. And not uh, finance. Uh.
0: And it sounds, from what you're saying, as so though there is a sense that there's still enough of a balance in that direction with you. It, it's it's
1: difficult is. because uh, I mean, if you talk to people and and uh, you you come to their income, then they get very reluctant. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, I say, look, what you're doing now. You're most of the time you're spending with administration tasks, and, and you want to be a doctor. That's what you're telling. So make a choice. I think that's what we have to do as as general practitioners. That we make a choice again for patient care and, and not for the things around I mean, other people can do that much better
2: I mean I suppose I'm coming to the view now that the NHS under a political administration is not sustainable because we're going to keep making mistakes we're going to keep doing non-evidence based things wasting time and money and diverting resources and, and, and I am um, you know I, I've couldn't bear to work in a non-nhs environment you know I, I i would just hate it you know and i and i really believe in the principles behind the nhs the access to care for mm. everyone regardless of your wealth or your status or, or whatever else about you and i and i kind of see the next you know the, the the remaining of time in my career as being kind of really to try and preserve the nhs and to try and alert people to what is happening to it and and i think that the current sort of fracas really between the Department of Health and Doctors has united primary and secondary care against the Department of Health particularly misuse of statistics and misuse of evidence around um, how doctors should operate and what doctors should and shouldn't do and from my point of view what I really want to see before before I retire or die is that we start an NHS that really is has all the principles of the NHS behind it but is an evidence based NHS and is run on the principles of evidence and uncertainty so if you don't know that something works either test it or don't do it and stop wasting money time after time because I think GPs are caught in the middle of this... um on one hand, working for the NHS and having a vocation, having a professional professionalism, a professional basis for what you do, but on the other hand, being misdirected in our time and resources, and it's really, I think, going to be now about trying to do work together, get patients and doctors all, all on the same side, do things with the best of evidence, and try and preserve the resource that is the NHS. So I think that's going to be the rest of my career. Um, should, should I retire or die first? I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you very much,
0: both of you.